بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم ما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله we praise Allah سبحانه وتعالى for granting us the ability the توفيق the capability of coming and fulfilling our responsibility to Him to know that He is the sole creator of the universe to be able to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for gifting us with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam allowing us to follow His way and understand His sharia, His, his way, His deen, His religion and we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with so many things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself reminds us of this. Even if we don't have the reminder of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know this is something that we cannot deny. Our own lives, everything we have, our bodies, our wealth, our clothing, our family, our shelter, everything we have is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on top of that, He tells us, He reminds us of this. This is a favor from Him as well. He says, وَإِن تَعُدُّوا If you were to count the blessings one by one, we wouldn't be able to do so. The ability to count the blessings itself is a blessing in itself. So it is actually impossible to count the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. But despite that, He still has made it our responsibility to count these blessings. We won't be able to, to count all of them. But we can count some of them. We can be grateful for some of these blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Among these blessings are the relationships that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with. The fact that we have parents, the fact that we have siblings, the fact that we have brothers and sisters, a community, the fact that we are one ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam put a lot of emphasis on this. This was something that made him extremely happy. One of the things that he actually says he boasts about, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he wouldn't boast too much about things. He wasn't a person that would boast. But regarding his ummah, he would boast. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also boasts regarding the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu When Muslims gather and they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name and they're doing the dhikr of Allah, talking about Allah, talking about His religion, is in a hadith that angels come and surround that gathering. Wherever the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being taken, angels will gather there. They're, they're attracted to the remembrance of Allah. And... So many of them gather in those you know, sacred places that they pile on top of each other. And they reach the heavens. So many of them that they reach the heavens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks to them and asks them that what's happening? Why are you guys all gathered and congregated in one area? And they say that we're gathered there because your name is being taken. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks them what exactly is happening there? What are they talking about? The angels say they talk about Jannah. They're seeking your Jannah. They're talking about Jahannam. They're seeking your protection from that. And they're talking about your religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so happy with those people that the angels are gathered around. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He boasts and He tells the angels that you bear witness and, and, and testify to this that I am forgiving everyone there. Everyone just because they've gathered for my sake and only my sake, then I forgive all of them. This is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And it's so beloved that in the hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa also mentions that the angels, they, they ask Allah. They're very inquisitive. Every time we hear about the angels, they always have some questions. So they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was one person that came through the gathering. They never intended that gathering. They just walked by. But the, technically speaking, they could be considered part of that gathering. But their intention was not that gathering. They just came by. Maybe they heard a few things and then they went on their way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that gathering is so beloved and so valuable, even the passerby is forgiven. So imagine those who are actually attentively listening, doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these gatherings of Allah. So this is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these uh, blessed gatherings. And this can only take place when we have a relationship of brotherhood, of ukhuwa in Islam. This is called ukhuwa. This is highly emphasized in Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be a community. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the first thing he did when he migrated to Medina. This is the first time in all of the history of Islam where Muslims were free to do as they wanted. Because they were oppressed in Mecca, they were not allowed to have their own system. They were not allowed to pray and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala openly. And if they were found out doing that in secret, they would be punished. They would be oppressed. So when Rasulullah finally went to Medina, this was the first chance that Muslims had to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi sallallahu was the ruler of that area. That's why some of the Jews would call him the king of the Arabs, the king of Medina. They would refer to Rasulullah as such. Because he became the ruler of that area. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them, given Nabi sallallahu that. It was completely voluntary. The people of Medina asked him to come and he came. And that's where the rule of Nabi Sallallahu was established. The first thing he does when he comes to Medina is establishes the masjid. Before going home, the camel goes and Nabi Sallallahu finds a place and that's where Masjid Nabawi, the beginnings of the community is established. So Rasulullah Sallallahu put so much emphasis on brotherhood, on family in Islam. And as Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran about Nuh Alayhi salam the Prophet Nuh salam, when the flood started, Nuh salam had family, he had his own son. His son was not a believer, as well as the wife of Nuh salam, who were not believers. But they were the family of Nuh salam. And of course, as a father, he loves his children. So he's seeing the water level rise and people are climbing mountains to get away from the flood. So Nuh salam, he says, my son, come onto the ship. You're not going to be safe. And his son says, Sa'awi ila al-jabal. I'll just climb the mountain, it'll save me from that. I don't want to get on your ship. And then Nuh watches as the flood rises and rises, and his son is overtaken. And so he makes he has this conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He watches his own son die before his eyes. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala previously told him that your family will be preserved. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Nuh that your family is going to be preserved. But Nuh saw and he believed that my son is going to be saved. He was calling him, telling him, come on the ship. No one that is off of this ship is going to be saved today. He denied and he was drowned. So he had this, he was thinking and he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah, I'm, I'm insignificant. I don't fully understand what's happening. You told me that he would be saved. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he's not your family. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ He's not from your family. إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحٍ He has done such 
evil deeds that he has cancelled from being amongst your progeny and your family. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indicating here that true family is that of aqidah, of our belief, of our system of ukhuwa and brotherhood in Islam. Such that someone does not have to be biologically related to us to be our brother, to be our sister, to be our family. This is exactly like I mentioned what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa had established. The first thing after building the masjid and you know settling down, Rasulullah sallallahu understood that there would be sectarianism. You have the Madani people, people of Medina. They had a certain temperament, they were farmers, they were not really engaged in business, they had a different culture altogether. They were different. And then you have the Meccan people who came with Rasulullah sallallahu the Muhajireen, the immigrants. They had a different temperament. Makkah was seen as a metropolis at that time. And Medina is seen as, you know, the suburbs. So anyone from, you know, a huge metropolis area, metropolitan area, they're going to be very different than people in the suburbs. This is the same thing that happened in, in, in Makkah and Medina. So the Muhajirin had a different temperament. When they came, Nabi Wasallam understood the possibility. And this is the genius of Rasulullah he was not educated by a human being, but that does not mean that he was not educated. He was the most educated individual because his teacher was Allah. And so he knew that this is a possibility. There's going to be a split and a divide. And if I don't do something quick, they're quickly going to make factions. They're going to be angry with one another. They're going to fight. So what was it that Rasulullah did out of his genius that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him? He established something called Uhuwa. Or brotherhood. He paired one muhajir with one ansar. So one person of Medina would be a host. And they would host one person that emigrated from Makkah. And this was established as the law of the land. That if you follow Rasulullah you would do this. Nabi himself, he stayed by Abu Ayyub al-Ansari. This was his brother. And he established such a tie. And this doesn't exist anymore. But at the time... If a muhajir would pass away, so you have a brotherhood that was formed. One very famous brotherhood was that of Salman al-Farisi and Abu Dhar. It was very famous. There's stories about them. How because of this, Nabi Wasallam destroyed that sectarianism. There was no possibility of racism. There was no possibility of looking down. Because those people who came from Mecca, they gave everything up. They didn't have any wealth. They were, some of them were extremely wealthy, extremely rich. When they did... Hijrah, they left everything behind. So as they came to Medina, they have absolutely nothing. And perhaps maybe some of them look down upon the, the people who live in the suburbs, the villagers. But now when Nabi Wasallam paired them together, they were indebted to these people who brought them in and gave everything that they had for them. These were the hosts of Rasulullah and the Muhajireen. And so a, a love grew between them. And Without even the, the opportunity arising, Nabi Sallallahu destroys sectarianism like this. And the rule that was established, and this is mentioned in the Quran as well, but it was abrogated later on, is that if one of them passed away, was, this was an actual brotherhood that was established, not just metaphorical. If one person passes away, the other would inherit from them. Just like if your father or your child or someone passes away in your family, you will inherit from them. This was the law at the time. It was later abrogated and now that, that rule does not apply anymore. We have different inheritance law which is mentioned in detail in Surah An-Nisa in the opening verses of Surah An-Nisa. However, at that time this was the case. 
And so this, as we can see in Sharia, is greatly emphasized. Brotherhood in Islam, community, gathering together, not ethnicity, not nationality, but, but a community based off of belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, based off of ha- sharing one Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa and based off of taqwa. So this is what we are taught in Islam, and this is true brotherhood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about friendship. That true friendship is that which is based off of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And true friendship will last forever. True friendship, you know, everyone says that. But when we hear this from, you know, other people, it's, they're not thinking deeply about it. And they're just speaking fancy. They're trying to be a little bit elaborate with this. But in reality, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that true friendship will last forever. And there's some ayat in this regard. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says very beautifully, in Surah Al-Zukhruf, verse 67. It's very scary as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-akhillā'u yawma idhin ba'duhum li ba'dun adu illa al-muttaqeen. Al-akhillā. Here the word al-akhillā, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using, is a plural of khalil. We know that Ibrahim alayhi salam, he was given the title khalil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in one hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi salam says that had I, have, had I taken a friend amongst human beings, it would have been Abu Bakr, if I had a friend. But Allah has taken me as his Khalil. It's a special term. Ibrahim salam was also the Khalil of Allah. Khalil means such a friend that there is no other room in a person's heart for anyone else. The highest level of friendship. This is, in, is a higher form of Sadiq. In, in Arabic, the word Sadiq means friend. You might have heard Sadiq. It, it means a friend, just like a general term. And the word Sadiq, it comes from Sadaqa, or truthfulness. And uh, the connotation here is, two friends have a relationship that is truthful, that is honest between one another. And that's why what binds them together is honesty. That's what true friendship is. If we don't have honesty with those who are near with us, near to us, we're not going to be true friends. So this is what a sadiq is. A higher level than a sadiq is a khalil. As maybe in our language, we can call a best friend. You don't have multiple best friends. You have only one best friend. Meaning you have no more space in your heart for anyone else. This is a khalil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse, Al-akhilla, the khalils. Yawma idhin, an yawm al-qiyamah, ba'aduhum li ba'adin adu. They're all going to be enemies. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, He doesn't say the sadiqs will be like this. He says the khalils will be like this. People who had this relationship of khulla, or there were khalils in the dunya, best friends in dunya, people who had no more room in their heart for anyone else other than their friend, their situation will be on yawm al-qiyamah, that they will be enemies. They will be enemies. They will be fighting with one another. They will have hatred for one another. They will push one another away. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying this situation. So it's very important that we, we understand this word. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Akhillah. If he said, Asdiqa, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, friends will fight one another. We may think that, well, those are normal friends. Me and my best friend will never fight. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Khalil, this is their situation. We may not even have a Khalil in our lives. We may have just friends and associates. Maybe not Akhillah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they will all be enemies, but there's only one exception, a single exception on that day. These individuals will not be fighting. And this is true friendship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, 
And like we were saying, friendship is what lasts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes an exception. إِلَّا الْمُتَّقِينَ Except for those who had taqwa, if their friendship was based off of taqwa, they will not be enemies on that day. This is the only category of friendship that will last. And this means that this is the only true friendship. Because we say friendship is that which lasts no matter what, through thick and thin. This is what people say. But on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that every type of friendship will cause, every type of friendship will be a source of enmity. So what does that mean? That means taqwa is the basis upon which true friendship is built on. And we need to understand this because we all claim to have friends. Whether they be our family members, our spouses, our children can be our friends. Or people outside of our own family, our associates, our, our co-workers, people that we see. We say these are our friends. But are they really? Are these individuals that, are they such that I will be friends with them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? If not, then maybe they're not true friends. This, this doesn't qualify as a definition of friendship according to Allah. And Allah knows these terms better than we do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a creator of friendship. So if He is saying that this is not a true friendship, we need to reanalyze our situation. How many relationships do we have that we claim is friendship, but is not based off of taqwa? Imam ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he commentates on this, this ayah. He says in his tafsir, إِنَّ كُلَّ صَدَاقَةٍ وَصَحَابَةٍ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا تَنْقَلِبُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ عَدَاوَةٍ إِلَّا مَا كَانَ لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلٍ Every type of relationship, every type of friendship that was for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes, we can call this a fr- friendship in, in dunya. Sometimes you see people even sacrificing themselves for another person. But if it was for someone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then on Yawm Al-Qiyamah it will be transformed into adawa and enmity and fighting. This will be the case. Except for that which was for Allah. If the unifying factor between us and our associates and our friends is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to please Allah through this relationship. Inshallah, it will supersede this realm of the dunya and that friendship will last until Yawm Al-Qiyamah and beyond in Jannah as well. This is true friendship. He says, فَإِنَّهُ دَائِمٌ بِدَوَامِهِ this friendship is permanent and it's eternal through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causing it to be such. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows certain friendships, certain relationships to be eternal, to last forever. And this is the true friendship. And this is as Ibrahim alayhi salam said to his nation. He said to them, you have taken all of these idols other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as your beloveds. You made them your sources of, of your attention and your love and friendship. And Ibrahim is saying that you made each other friends as well. And you've taken help from one another to oppose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you think that you're best friends. But on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, you will deny one another. You will have kufr regarding those things that you believed in. And you will curse one another. Ibrahim والسلام, is saying to his qawm, you're going to curse one another. Even though you have so much love for one another today. Your end result will be the fire. And you will have no helper on that day. <coughs> Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah, he says regarding the same verse that you know all 
best friends will be enemies except for those who have taqwa. He says those who have friendship on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, if that friendship was based off of ma'asi, based off of sinning, based off of something that Allah is not pleased with, a friendship, you, you, you developed a relationship with someone else and you talk about movies, talk about ma'asi, talk about sin, talk about haram. If this is the basis of our relationship, Imam Al-Tabari is saying, they will curse one another. They will become enemies. They will have animosity towards one another on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. They will say that I have nothing to do with this person. I don't want to see this person because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala will make it clear to them that they were wrong on that day. And when they see the other individual, they will realize that every time we met, there was some sin. So every single occasion of our friendship is causing me to go lower and lower into the fire of Jahannam. The only exception is those who had friendship due to taqwa. So this is the basis upon what we should develop our friendships, inshallah. To have a true friendship, we have to have taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and allow that to be the sole factor which governs who becomes my friend. Or if we already have a friend, we, we befriend them and retain that relationship due to the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some ayat regarding those who believe to be best friends. They, they thought they were best friends, but they didn't have taqwa of Allah. They didn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the basis of their relationship was something other than the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What will be their end result? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-A'raf, in verse 38 and 39, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell Different crowds of people, they're coming, they're kuffar, they didn't believe in Allah. Jinn and humans, all these groups will come. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell them, go to the fire of Jahannam. Every time another group comes, there will be different groups that will enter the fire of Jahannam on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And they, will have, they would have had different relationships with one another. They would have been friends with one another. Every time another group comes, and then there's another group already in the fire of Jahannam. The new group, when they come, the other group will start cursing them. They'll start, fight, uh, you know, start saying bad things about them, fighting with them. When they're all in Jahannam together now, these people, they had a friendship based off of enmity towards Islam, based off of enmity towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or whatever it was, whatever sin it was, when they're all gathered in Jahannam, one group will say to the other, قَالَتْ أُخْرَاهُمْ لِأُولَاهُمْ The ones that came later will say to the ones that are already there, رَبَّنَا هَؤُلَاءِ أَضَلُّنَا فَآتِهِمْ عَذَابًا ضِعْفًا مِنَ النَّارِ Oh Allah, these were the people we used to follow. They used to say, follow us, we'll give you some money, we'll give you aid, we'll give you help. Show animosity towards Islam. Do not believe in Allah. Reject Rasulullah. And so they did so. These were the leaders of their nations. And they said, we are friends. Just follow us. Forget about Rasulullah So this latter generation, they'll come and they'll start cursing the first one. And they will say, oh Allah, these people led us astray. Give them double punishment. Give them more punishment. They led, they're the ones, because of them, we're here. We would have believed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, each one of you is going to have double punishment. Not just them. They caused you to disbelieve, but you chose that as well. 
you don't realize that it's also your fault. وَقَالَتْ أُولَاهُمْ لِأُخْرَاهُمْ And then they're going, to, they're going to argue in Jahannam. There's a lot of argumentation in Jahannam. It's not just burning and people, you know, banding together as friends. And, and, and you know, there's an Arabic statement. They say, إِذَا عَمَّتِ الْبَلَايَ خَفَّتْ When a difficulty becomes general, it becomes easy. Right? One person had the coronavirus. It's very difficult. No one else has it. It's very difficult. Everyone gets the coronavirus. We band together. We say, let's help each other. Let's get through this. Someone passes away. We go to the janazah. We're there. We're helping them out. We cook food for them. It becomes easier that way. When you have a difficulty and everyone's going through it, it becomes easy. That's not the case in Jahannam. You will not have friendship in Jahannam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that they're going to argue with one another. So that the second group curses the first. It says, because of them we're here. Allah give them double punishment. Allah will say, well, I'm going to give all of you double punishment. Then the first group speaks. وَقَالَتْ أُولَاهُمْ لِأُخْرَاهُمْ فَمَا كَانَ لَكُمْ عَلَيْنَا مِنْ فَضْلٍ فَذُوقُ الْعَذَابَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْسِبُونَ The first group will then respond. Those who are the so-called leaders. They will say that you're no better than us. You're no different than us. We disbelieved and you also disbelieved. Don't try to blame us on this day. And so they will say, taste the torment just as we are. And so this is going to be the fighting in Jahannam. This is going to be back and forth. They're going to have physical torment. Their bodies are going to be going through excruciating pain. They're going to have spiritual torment. They realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now their Rabb, their leader, or their, their, their God. But they can't do anything about it. And so they're regretting. And they're going to have mental anguish as well. They're going to be in a continuous state of fighting. There's no comfort in Jahannam. In another verse, in Surah Al-Baqarah, we're talking about you know, negative friendship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this. How they will disown one another. They'll separate from one another. They'll try to, to separate themselves from the uh, incrimination that they would have because of that other friendship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذْ تَبَرَّأَ الَّذِينَ تُبِعُوا مِنَ الَّذِينَ تَبَعُوا وَرَأَوُ الْعَذَابَ وَتَقَطَّعَتْ بِهِمُ الْأَسْبَابِ The followers will say. So you have the leaders who would call people towards shirk and kufr. As you do in today's time. People telling others, do not believe. There is no such thing as God. Rasulullah is not real. He's fake. What he preached is incorrect. These are the leaders in today's time. The atheists and all of these other at the end. The followers who followed them, who were taken away from Islam, they will say, if only we had one last chance. If Allah, if you give us one more chance, we would disown them. They disowned us today. So the, the first group who were the leaders, they disown all of the people that followed them. They said, we have nothing to do with them. They did it out of their own choice. We didn't force anyone. We don't want double punishment. And those people, they will see this. I followed you because I thought you were my role model. Now they will say, oh Allah, please give us a second chance. We'll disown them if you give us a chance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make them see the, the, the wrong that they had in that relationship. And so this is, uh, you know, the situation. There's many more ayat in this regard. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll share one more. And inshallah, I'll continue this subject uh, next Jumu'ah, inshallah. And this is uh, the statement of shaitan. So scholars in tafsir, they talk about this in Surah to Ibrahim, verse 22 and 23. This is the speech of shaitan. Right? So shaitan, once he's in Jahannam, yes, shaitan is going to Jahannam. He's an actual individual, he's a jinn, he's going to go to the lowest 
places of Jahannam with Fir'aun and the other Munafiqeen. He's in amongst the categories of the Munafiqeen. So Shaytan will have a speech in Jahannam. So the ayah says, وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانُ لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمَرُ When everything is settled and everyone who's going to Jannah is in Jannah and everyone who's going to Jahannam is in Jahannam. Shaytan, in some tafsirs it says there will be a member of fire. A member of fire and he'll be standing on it so people can see him. And he'll give a speech. He'll say, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعَدَ الْحَقِّ وَوَعَدْتُكُمْ فَأَخْلَفْتُكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you a promise and I gave you a promise. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise was true and you didn't follow that. And I lied. I made a lie. He's being honest. Everyone's going to be honest in in the hereafter. There's no more dishonesty. He says, I made this promise, I I lied. وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ إِنْ سُلْطَانٍ I had no power over you. I didn't force you to do it. I just gave you a false promise. I just lied. That was my issue. Why did you follow me? I just called you towards this haram, towards this kufr and shirk. Why did you obey? You obeyed me. That's your issue. Don't blame me. Blame yourself on this day. You can't blame me on this day. But that's what's going to happen. People are going to go to shaitan and say, Well, it's because of him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, no, all of you have equal punishment. And shaitan will be like, I was your friend in dunya, but today I have nothing to do with you. He'll run away. مَا أَنَا بِمُسْرِخِكُمْ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُسْرِخِينَ Shaytan will say, I am not your helper, you're not mine. I have nothing to do with you. إِنِّي كَفَرْتُ بِمَا أَشْرَكْتُمُونِ مِنْ قَبْلِ Whatever you said that you, you try to make me a partner with Allah, I do, I do kufr of that. I don't believe in that. إِنَّ الظَّالِمِينَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Those people who are oppressive on that day, all of those friendships will break down. There will be nothing left. And the only thing that will be left is the true relationships that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created. In the next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the believers who had a, a true relationship, a relationship that is based off of taqwa. And this is what true friendship is. Because everything else will, will go away. Those who believed and they did righteous good deeds, they will be placed in Jannah. Such gardens and such a paradise under which rivers will flow. And they will be there forever with the permission of their Lord. And their call to one another, their greeting to one another will be salam. Just like we say, Assalamu alaikum, this is the greeting of Jannah as well. So only they will enjoy a good relationship that supersedes this dunya and goes into the hereafter. Inshallah, we'll talk more about this, about loving for the sake of Allah, hating for the sake of Allah. How we do all of this, inshallah, in the khutbahs to come. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us with true relationships, true friendships that are based off of taqwa. For those are the only true relationships that will last in the hereafter. وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى على خير خلقه محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم ما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with many things. Every single aspect of our life is a blessing. Every breath we take, everything that we do, 
This is all blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As he himself says, If you were to try to enumerate and count the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would be incapable of doing so. The fact that we can count the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's literally impossible to count all of the blessings Allah has favored us with. In the life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with, we find that we have certain innate relationships and we have some built relationships, some built connections that we have in our lives. An example of an innate relationship, one a relationship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates us with, that we don't have a choice in the matter, is that of us and our parents. We don't have a choice who is our parents. We cannot choose. And an example of a built relationship is our own spouses. We don't choose, we actually choose our spouses. And children is an innate uh, relationship as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us with many different kinds of relationships. Every single relationship that we have has certain things that we have to ensure about them. There's certain responsibilities for every relationship that we have, certain duties, certain benefits that we get as well, and certain goals that we should have with every single relationship. Now this doesn't, it's not limited to human relationships. The fact that we have a career or a job, this is a connection. We have a connection with our careers. So there's a certain trajectory. There's certain responsibilities. There's certain benefits that we get. And there's certain goals that we should aim for. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with the greatest relationship. And that is our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is an innate relationship. One that Allah has created us with. We don't get to choose this relationship with Allah. Everything in the universe that exists automatically has a connection that Allah is the Lord and the thing itself is the subject of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The heavens, the earth, every individual. We don't get to choose whether or not we take Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a Rabb. The fact is that He is the Rabb. Of course, we do choose whether we want to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not. And this is the test of life itself. So we spoke about this connection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with His creation. That this is the most important thing in our lives. And thus requires the most amount of focus in our lives. That we pay attention to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said. We obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all, his, uh, all of His commandments. And of course, there's many benefits to be had when we do so. We also spoke of the second greatest benefit, the second greatest relationship, and that is between us and our own parents. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many places in the Quran, He mentions, obey me and do good to your parents. The second thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions when He's talking about these major commandments is first, the worship of Allah solely Him without associating partners with Him. Secondly, He talks about parents. And then third, he talks about our relationship with other individuals in our lives. Our own spouses, our children, our neighbors. These are all secondary after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's worship and after the obedience of our parents. So we spoke about these in some detail over the last few months. Our relationship to Allah, our relationship towards our parents, and even our spouses. Now this brings us to another relationship which is quite important. And that is general friendship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created human beings such that they really cannot stay by themselves. They feel alone, they feel perturbed when they're 
by themselves. And so they need to have certain relationships. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promotes these types of relationships. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to engage with other people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and in, in the Quran itself, monasticism, or you know, just worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and cutting ourselves away from everyone else, is actually not something praiseworthy. In Surah Al-Hadid, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the previous nations have imposed upon themselves a type of monk-like attitude where they would separate themselves from all of other people, all of the society, and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they would believe this to be a good thing. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, many places, that we have to connect ourselves with our societies. We have to connect ourselves with our families. And this is something that we have been taught by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa as well. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promotes friendship. A good friendship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الْأَخِلَّاءُ يَوْمَئِذٍ بَعْضُهُمْ لِبَعْضٍ عَدُوٌ إِلَّا الْمُتَّقِينَ This is a, a double-sided aspect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you may have had friendships in dunya, in this world. People that you felt very close to. People that you spent a lot of time with. But there are only certain amount of people that will be your true friends in the hereafter. True friends in the hereafter. And that is what I want to discuss today, inshallah. Who is a true friend? What are the qualities, the traits, the attributes of a true friend? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Zukhruf, Best friends on that day, on Yawmul Qiyamah, will be enemies with one another. Except for those who had taqwa. Except for those whose friendship was based on the fear of Allah, was based on the worship of Allah, and the ultimate goal of that friendship was getting close to Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, On Yawm al-Qiyamah, we may not notice it in dunya. We may feel like this person is my best friend, my very close ally. But on Yawm al-Qiyamah, if that friendship was not based on pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will regret it. And if it was based off of taqwa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, there will not be any enmity between these people on Yawm al-Qiyamah. So what we discussed already in the previous khutbah, was that friendship which is built upon taqwa, friendship which is built upon the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the, the following of the commandments of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this will lead to a happy life in dunya, as well as a happy life in the akhirah. I gave some examples of friendships that were not based off of taqwa, friendships that were not based off of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in the Quran, in Surah Al-A'raf, that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, on the Day of Judgment, when people are thrown into the fire of Jahannam, in groups, many groups which were allies with one another, will disassociate with one another on that day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كُلَّمَا دَخَلَتْ أُمَّةٌ لَعَنَتْ أُخْتَهَا Every time a group comes in, a new group comes, the former group who's already there, who are the leaders, who were those who promoted distance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will curse the newcomers. And then the newcomers themselves who will enter the fire of Jahannam will curse those who are already in there. Many times when we think of Jahannam, the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's only physical. In reality, the mental anguish and torment of Jahannam in the hereafter is at times even greater. And this is, not only will they be in physical torment, but they will be cursing one another. They will not have friendship. They will not band together. And there is a mathal or a statement in Arabic 
When difficulties become general, then they become easy. Meaning when, when we're all experiencing some form of difficulty, like you know, just in the last few years, everybody was getting COVID, everybody was getting sick. It's easier when everyone else is getting sick. You get more support, you get more sympathy. Because we are all on the same page. But when you're the only one going through a difficulty, it becomes increasingly difficult. Not only are you going through physical anguish, mental anguish, but the fact that you're all alone, it's very difficult. In Jahannam, there will not be bands, there will not be groups of people associating with one another. There will not be allies. Everyone is going to be an enemy with one another. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the previous ayah that I quoted, He says that all types of friendships in dunya will end up towards that unless it was based off of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why we have to ensure every type of relationship that we have, the foundation of that relationship is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, this not, may not be very easy. And we can even have such a relationship with people we work with, with everyone in our lives, even if they're not Muslim. How so? They may not have the intention, but we may have the intention that I want to please Allah through this relationship. I want to promote Islam. I want to show the beauty of Islam. I want to display my character as a good individual. In this sense, at least your side will be considered to be with the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if the other side does not have the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We even mentioned Iblis's bayan. Shaytan will have a speech in Jahannam itself. In Surah Ibrahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the speech of shaytan, of iblis, of the devil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانُ لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمَرُ When everything has been settled, when everyone goes to their final abode, the believers go to Jannah, the disbelievers go to Jahannam, when all is said and done, shaytan will speak. In some narrations it says that shaytan will be given a mimbar, Not like this member, but a member of fire itself, a pulpit of fire in which he will stand and he will address all of humanity who had obeyed him, who had answered the, the, the whispers that he and his other shayateen had cast into people. And the words of shaytan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes, and this is a future quote, meaning this is what he will say. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us beforehand. Shaytan will say, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعَدَ الْحَقِّ وَوَعَدْتُكُمْ فَأَخْلَفْتُكُمْ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you a promise and I also promised you. Shaytan has given a promise to some people. And that is, follow your desires and if you follow whatever you want to do and you have no code in life, you will be ultimately happy. So this is the promise of shaytan. And what is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What is the wa'adah of Allah? Go against your desires. Disobey your desires. Follow, the de follow what makes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala happy. Do what is commanded to you. And take yourself away from your desires. This is the promise of, or the, the, the oath that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken from us. And if you do so, you will be happy at the end. So shaytan says, indeed Allah has promised you and his promise was true. And I have promised you, but I lied. My promise was a lie, Shaytan is saying on that day. وَمَا كَانَ لِيَا عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ إِلَّا أَنْ دَعَوْتُكُمْ فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ لِي I had no power over you. 
Shaitan exonerates himself from association with us. He says, I had no power over you. The only thing is that I called you, I did da'wah to you, and you answered. Don't blame me. فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not blame me, blame yourselves on this day. And this is not only the, the relationship that some people had with shaitan. This is with every relationship that ends up in the disobedience of Allah. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but there will come a day when we regret that relationship. And those individuals will say that it's not my fault. You did as you wanted to do. I only called you towards this. So do not blame me, blame yourselves. And shaitan will say, مَا أَنَا بِمُسْرِخِكُمْ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُسْرِخِي I am not the one that will help you today, and you will not help me today. إِنِّي كَفَرْتُ بِمَا أَشْرَكْتُمُونِ مِنْ قَبْلِ إِنَّ الظَّالِمِينَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ He will say that I disassociate myself from that which you have ascribed to me. What people wanted to you know, seek from shaitan itself, shaitan will say that I had nothing to do with that. I just called you towards that. And you accepted it. So this will be a very difficult situation for those people when things become very apparent that all of these relationships that we had, if it was based off of things that was taking us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this would end up in regret. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had instructed us regarding relationships. He says, everything, the core of all relationships that we have, the foundation should be the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In one hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِلَّهِ وَأَبْغَضَ لِلَّهِ وَأَعْطَى لِلَّهِ وَمَنَعَ لِلَّهِ فَقَدْ اسْتَكْمَلَ الْإِيمَانِ The individual who loves for the sake of Allah and who detests for the sake of Allah and who gives for the sake of Allah and who prevents for the sake of Allah, that individual has complete iman. Their faith is complete. What does this hadith mean? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is telling us that true iman, the highest form of faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is when everything is done for Allah. Whether it is that we love an individual or we dislike an individual, whether it is that we give something to someone or we prevent from someone else, as long as the intention is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this individual has a complete iman. All of our actions need to be founded upon taqwa. What does it mean to love for the sake of Allah? This means that when we see an individual and we want to have a relationship with this person, we want to be friends or we already have friends, the ultimate goal and the foundation of this relationship is how can I get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How can I obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through all of these relationships? We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to be good spouses, good children, good parents. And so when we have these relationships and in our minds, in our hearts, our niyyah is, I want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this. I want to be good to my parents. I want to be good to my spouse. I want to be good to my children and my friends and associates because Allah wants me to do so. This is loving for the sake of Allah. What is bold lillah? Hatred for the sake of Allah. You don't often hear this. And... This reminds us or reminds me of the, the, the statement that you know, hate the sin, not the sinner. And this is something that we have to understand as well. You see someone engaged in sin. Oftentimes what we do is we cannot differentiate between the individual and the action that they're doing. 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and clearly in this hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is telling us, we need to be able to differentiate between a person's actions and the individual themselves. We're not allowed to hate anyone. In Islam, we don't hate people. We do dislike actions though. And sometimes a person does become synonymous with the action. It becomes increasingly difficult to be able to separate that action from the individual. What is the proof of this? The proof that disliking something in Islam is disliking the action and not the individual. We find this in the life of Rasulullah time and time again. People who were the most, who displayed the most animosity towards Islam. And Nabi Wasallam had all the right to hate this individual, to execute a certain individual because of what they have done. As soon as they had accepted Islam, Nabi Wasallam, with open arms accepts them. All of the Sahaba accepts this individual. There are many instances where people, there were leaders, chieftains of their tribes, they would kill some of the Sahaba. They were, they were very, you know, they were enemies of Islam. But as soon as they accept Islam, then Nabi Wasallam accepts them wholeheartedly. And what greater example is that of Wahshi? We all have heard the story of Wahshi was the one who murdered the uncle of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and someone who Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam found very dear to his heart. Hamza radiallahu anhu was a great Sahabi. He aided Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was a pillar of Islam itself. People would not harm Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam out of fear for Hamza. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam loved him greatly before Islam and after Islam. We know the story of Wahshi. He, mur- he was, he was, an, uh, he was you know, excellent with the spear. He was a great warrior. And he murdered Hamza. And so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had a great amount of pain in his heart when he lost his uncle. Eventually, Wahshi accepts Islam. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam accepted him. He could have executed him. But when he accepted Islam, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had to accept him. Or he wanted to accept him. This is the teachings of Islam itself. So this is bulghulillah, hatred for the sake of Allah. When we see something going against the commandments of Allah, we should have a yearning in our heart that I want to rectify this in the best manner possible. Not yelling, not shouting, but going towards a person and speaking very kindly. And then in the hadith, Nabi sallallahu says, wa Someone gives for the sake of Allah, they prevent for the sake of Allah. And this requires wisdom. When do I give for the sake of Allah? Allah is happy with me giving. When do I prevent for the sake of Allah? Don't give this thing because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want you to give it. If we can do these four things, loving, hating, giving, and preventing for Allah, Nabi sallallahu says that this person's iman is complete. And we have many opportunities to do these things. These are all of our relationships that we find ourselves in. If we can have the correct niyyah, inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless us in these relationships. In one hadith, which is narrated in Sahih al-Bukhari, Nabi sallallahu speaks of the immense reward of having a relationship solely for the sake of Allah. Among many other things, inshallah, I'll speak about all of these in, very, you know, in brief and single out the one that we are discussing here. The hadith is narrated by Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. He says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, سَبَعَةٌ يُظِلُّهُمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى فِي ظِلِّهِ there are seven categories of individuals who will be covered by the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day in which there is no shade other than the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's throne. This is a reference to Yawm al-Qiyamah. We know what is going to happen on Yawm al-Qiyamah. All of humanity is going to be 
on a plain, a single flat piece of land. The sun will be brought incredibly close to our heads, but we will not be able to die. There's no more death after resurrection. It'll be extremely hot. Some people will be sweating so much and they won't be able to move from where they are standing. And some people will be drowning in their sweat. On that day, there will be nothing more precious than a simple shade. The shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's throne. There will be no other shade on that day from the immense heat except the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's throne. In this hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says there will be seven categories of individuals. And we need to strive to be more than just one, inshallah. The more categories we can fulfill, the more likely it is that we may be under the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the shade of Allah. Now some of these we will not be uh, you know, eligible for, but some we will. The first category, Imamun Adl. An Imam who is just. And this is not talking about an Imam of a masjid, but rather an Imam or a ruler of a country. So we don't have that opportunity. But if there is such a just ruler, or we could find ourselves in sometimes in a leadership position. If we can display justice in that leadership position, and we can avoid biases, we can be you know, impartial, and we can be you know, just kind to everyone, Inshallah, we can fit in this, into this category. The second category will be shaded under the throne of Allah. Shabun nasha'a fi ibadatillah. A youngster who grows up in the worship of Allah. From their very beginnings, they are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they continue to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many of us are not in that category. A shab is of course, uh, you know, pre-puberty to even uh, close to 30s would be a shab. A youngster. If we have passed that, then that opportunity is gone. And if we worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that era, inshallah we will be among those. The third category, رَجُلٌ قَلْبُهُ مُعَلَّقٌ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ A person whose heart is connected to the masjid. It's a very simple thing. But if we have this quality, inshallah we can hope for that shade on that day. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, a person whose heart is attached to the masajid. What does this mean? This doesn't just mean that I like masjids. I have to display this in my actions as well. Frequent the masjid. Attend the programs in the masjid. Always feel in my heart that I'm looking forward to the next salah. Such an individual is loved by Allah so much that he will be granted shade under the throne. And the fourth category which is related to what we're discussing. وَرَجُلَانِ تَحَبَّا فِي اللَّهِ اجْتَمَعَا عَلَيْهِ وَتَفَرَّقَا عَلَيْهِ Two people who love each other for the sake of Allah. They gather for the sake of Allah and they separate for the sake of Allah. This means that their only relationship, the, the, the foundation of their relationship is to please Allah. They don't have any ulterior motive other than pleasing Allah. Where can we find such relationships? It's quite hard sometimes. But alhamdulillah, a great place to find these relationships, as I have experienced, is in the masjid itself. Sometimes we have brothers in the masjid, every time they meet, they have a huge smile on their face. They gather, they talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they discuss issues of deen. And when they separate, they separate with salam. They don't meet outside of the masjid, they don't you know, engage, and they're not co-workers, etc. But they always look forward to meeting each other in the masjid. So this is friendship for the sake of Allah. The next category is number five. رَجُلٌ دَعَتُمْ رَأَتٌ ذَاتُ مَنْصَبْ وَجَمَالٌ فَقَالَ إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهِ A person who is called by a woman who has status and beauty and she wants to fulfill her desire with him, 
and he says, I cannot, I fear Allah. He had all the opportunity to fulfill his desire. And we can turn the example around as well, to women as well. That they have full capability of fulfilling the desire with an individual who has status, who has beauty, but they say, no, I fear Allah, I'm not going to do that. وَرَجُلٌ تَصَدَّقَ بِصَدَقَةٍ فَأَخْفَاهَا حَتَّى لَا تَعْلَمَ شِمَالُهُ مَا تُنْفِقْ يَمِينُهُ Number six, a person who gives in sadaqah, in charity, such a charity, and this is a phrase in Arabic, he hides this charity, such that his right hand, or his left hand does not know what his right hand has spent. This is a phrase in Arabic, meaning you hide your charity so well that one hand doesn't even know about what the other has spent. Forget about another individual. What do we do in today's time? We spend something and we tell the imam to say my name. Say that, you know, Fulan bin Fulan has spent this much money. Or make a plaque that I have donated such and such and just hang it in the back of the masjid. There is a fear that this will not be accepted. Who knows? If there was ikhlas, there was sincerity, and then some other reason for the plaque and for mentioning the name, it is possible Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts. But if there is some other aspect in there, if we're sharing our ikhlas and our sincerity with Allah, with this other, you know, being a, a person of note, then we might lose the reward. So here Nabi Sallallahu says, giving charity in secret, being anonymous, not giving our names. This will cause us to be under the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And finally, وَرَجُلٌ ذَكَرَ اللَّهَ خَالِيًا فَفَاضَتْ عَيْنَاهُ an individual who remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are in solitude. But they love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much in their dhikr, in their remembrance of Allah. They start crying out of longing for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Out of love for Allah and His remembrance. Such an individual is beloved to Allah will be under the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another hadith regarding friendship, Rubada bin Samit radiallahu anhu says, He heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi saying, Regarding Allah... <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said this, this is a hadith Qudsi, حَقَّتْ مَحَبَّتِي عَلَى الْمُتَحَابَيْنَ My mahabba, my love is compulsory for those people who love each other for my sake. Allah says, I will love those individuals who love for my sake. And I will love those individuals who well wish for one another for my sake. And I will love those individuals who visit one another for my sake. And I will love those individuals who spend for my sake. And they will be upon pulpits of light, of nur. And everyone will look upon them and wish that they were in their situation. Let's talk a little bit about the friendship recommendations of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In Abu Dawood, which is a very famous book of hadith narrations, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, لا تصاحب إلا مؤمنا ولا يأكل طعامك إلا تقي Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa says, ensure your friends are believers. Why? Because your goals and your aspirations are the same. You will ensure that you take your friend to Jannah and they take you to Jannah as well. And make sure that those who come to your homes to eat your food are the pious. We need to feed the pious. We need to engage with them. We need to become friends with them. This is a friend recommendation of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in another hadith in Abu Dawood, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, الرَّجُلُ عَلَى دِينِ خَلِيلِ فَلْيَنظُرْ أَحَدُكُمْ مَنْ يُخَالِلِ An individual is upon the same religion, the same way of life as their best friend. 
So beware and be cautious who you take as your best friend. Let us look at our friend circle. Let us look at our associates. And that is a great way we can gauge our own selves. Where am I? Where do I stand in terms of my connection with Allah? How are my friends? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi says, Be cautious who you accept as a friend. So we need to have, our friends need to have certain qualifications, certain qualities. Inshallah, in the next khutbah, I will talk about conditions of friendship. What, what character traits should our friends have? And also we need to turn this around and look at myself. What conditions do I need to have to be a good friend to my friends? All of these things that we're going to mention, inshallah, we need to also apply to ourselves. It's not just my friend needs to have these qualities and I'm bereft of them. I need to have these qualities as well so that I can be a good friend. And finally, I'll end with a hadith. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa talks about the importance of friendship. إِنَّمَا مَثَلُ الْجَلِيسِ الصَّالِحِ وَالْجَلِيسِ السُّوءِ The example of a good friend and a bad friend. كَحَامِلِ الْمِسْكِ وَنَافِخِ الْكِيرِ Is like a person who sells fragrances. That's an example of a good friend. And the example of a bad friend is like a blacksmith. Not saying that blacksmiths are bad people. This is the example. A good friend is like someone who sells fragrances. A abbar, as they say in Arabic. And a bad friend is like a blacksmith. فَحَامِلُ الْمِسْكِ إِمَّا أَنْ يُحْذِيَكَ وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَبْتَعَ مِنْهُ The individual who is a good friend who sells fragrance, either when you visit them, they will be very fragrant, they'll apply some fragrance on you. When you leave that store, when you leave their gathering, you're going to smell very good. Or you'll purchase something from them, or they'll gift it to you. So no matter what, when you visit such a friend, you're not, you never leave them without something. And even if they don't apply anything, they themselves are fragrant. So when you leave, you will have some of that on you. And then the example of a bad friend. He says that a blacksmith, if you go to them when they are engaged in their work, Either they will burn your clothing, or when you leave them, your clothing will have soot, your clothing will be darkened, your clothing will have a bad smell to it. So even if we don't engage in the actions that these friends are engaged in, just being associated with them has a, either a positive effect or a negative effect. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for positive friendships. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq to have all of our relationships have the foundation of these relationships be the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pleasing him, getting closer to his way and the example of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallallahu tabarak ta'ala ala khiri khalqi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een rahmatika ya arhum rahmeen Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidil anbiya wal mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een اللهم صل على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. We begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa taala for the innumerable amount of blessings He has granted us, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to send salutations and blessings upon Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم, his family. His companions and those who follow his way until the day of judgment, inshallah. We were speaking of 
good companionship and the necessity of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the human being in a very complex manner such that we have many facets in our lives. We have our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is the most important relationship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with. Just by creating us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instated that this relationship will be in effect. We also have an innate relationship with our parents. We didn't choose our parents. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose them for us. This is a relationship that we must keep. We are commanded to keep that relationship, strengthen that relationship, and grow it to fruition. Similarly, we have other relationships. Some are innate, like siblings, children. Some relationships we choose, our spouses and our friends. In all of our relationships... We need to observe what the Sharia, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa has commanded us to observe. These are along with their benefits. Of course, we have so many benefits in these relationships. They're also a duty and a responsibility that we all have in all of our relationships. When it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the entire Sharia is filled with how we interact with Allah. How we make dua to only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How we pray only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's certain rules and regulations. But it's not only that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran in many verses talks about how we deal with our parents. How to respect our parents. How to revere our teachers. How to get along with our spouses. How to raise our children. All of these things are incorporated in the sharia. It's not only the worship of Allah. And in actuality... Fulfilling all of our duties to all of the relationships that we have is worship in itself because we are fulfilling the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every individual in their lives has influences. We all have influences in our lives. Whether we choose or we don't choose, no matter what, we are going to be influenced. As we know, there are good influences, there are bad influences. Good influences are those which motivate us which inspire us to adopt better habits, reach new goals, go further, get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, become a better version of ourselves. These are good influences. Bad influences are the opposite. They are that which cause us to lower ourselves, to pursue our own desires, to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are bad influences. So no matter what, we are going to have influences in our lives. There's nothing we can do about that. The only individual who has no influence in their life is that person who decides to go live in a cave. There's no one around them. As for everyone else, every single billboard you see, every single advertisement, every single interaction, every single thing you say to another person and they say to you is going to cause an influence. Now, knowing this, what do we do? The intelligent person understands this system. That no matter what, we're going to be influenced. They use it to their advantage. How do I use this to my advantage? How do I use influence to my advantage? I surround myself with individuals who I want to be like. This way, I understand that their influence will rub off on me in a positive light. This is what the intelligent person does. They choose their friends very carefully based on the benefit that they can have from them. And this is not selfish because an individual can benefit them as well. Our intention should be that I benefit from my friends and they benefit from me. Which also entails that I should have something to give. 
If I am someone of no benefit, how can I give to someone else? So there is a two-way street. Friendship is a two-way street. And it is meant for us to better ourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates this concept, this friendship, to better ourselves. And that is what the intelligent person does. And we have to ask ourselves, am I subject to other people's influence? Influences that I don't even know that are working upon me? Negative influences? Or am I an individual who has chosen their own influences? Because at the end of the day, you cannot stay away from influence. You must be influenced. So the intelligent person chooses their influence. As for the ignorant person, the person who is not aware, the negligent individual, the ghafil person, they're not aware of this concept, that they will be influenced. They find themselves doing things at times, they don't know why they're doing it. They remember a time where they did not have this bad habit and now they're remembering or they're, they're recalling their understanding that I have this bad habit in my life. How did it come? Well, it came by the individuals that you surround yourself with. This person is ignorant. They're unaware that this has caused this situation. My surrounding with this individual. And it doesn't have to be a physical person. The things that we watch, the media that we are allowing into our minds, into our eyes and ears, these are influences. They're heavy influences. Every single thing we watch, it's going to have an effect on ourselves. And this is why certain things are haram. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ensures that we stay away from certain influences. Now it is our duty to follow the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This definitely has harmful effects. When we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of deceiving our own selves, using our eyes against ourselves. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala terms this as us doing oppression upon ourselves. When we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, in the hadith, we don't find anywhere where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you've harmed me. You didn't listen to me, you harmed me. The term that is used, Allahumma inni zhulamtu nafsi zulman kathira. We say this in our salah. At the last dua that we recite, many of us in our salah, we say, Allahumma inni zhulamtu nafsi zulman kathira. What does this mean? Allah, I have wronged myself a great wronging. Greatly, immensely, I have wronged myself. Why? When we disobey Allah, we don't harm Allah. We cannot harm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We harm ourselves. Because this sharia, the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set it up, is if we obey Allah, we get benefit from it. It's not just obedience. We get something from it. And if we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we harm ourselves. And that is why this is the dua. We ask, we're asking Allah for forgiveness. The beginning of the dua starts with this admission. I've harmed myself. Forgive me. And that is the rest of the, the dua is very beautiful and eloquent. So the ignorant individual, they're not aware of their surroundings. <clears throat> they're not aware of their friends. They're not aware of the influences around them. They cannot account for why they're in the situation they're in. As for the intelligent person, they know exactly what's happening. They know by spending my time with this individual, the circle of friends that I have built around me, I'm getting better. Every time we meet, I leave with something positive. And this is what we should aspire to attain with our friendships. It's not just arbitrary. It's not just someone I met and I'm just keeping this connection with them. I get nothing from them. They get nothing from me. We just laugh a little bit and that's all. There should be something more to our relationships. And this will greatly benefit us. And not just with just, you know, friends, our, our family members, our parents, our spouses. Everyone has something positive for us. We have to be cognizant of that and try to take that from them. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam summarizes all of this very beautifully in one hadith. 
narrated by Imam Dawood, Abu Dawood. Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, A person is upon the religion, is upon the way of life of their best friend. Be cautious, be aware who you take as your friend. That's all. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam summarizes this entire concept of influence in this one phrase, in this one sentence. That we are upon the deen of our friends. This is extreme. Right? This is hyperbole. And Nabi Sallallahu is not over-exaggerating. This is a reality. Eventually, by us surrounding ourselves with certain people, their ideology, their way of thought, their understanding of the universe will come into us. Maybe at first it starts as a doubt. It starts as something, is this true? Eventually it grows and grows. As long as we surround ourselves with those individuals, we will find their ideas, their thoughts coming into us. So he's cautioning us. Nabi Sallallahu he knows this situation. He's telling us, be careful who you choose as your friend. Not just every person that comes your way and is nice to you becomes your friend. We have to choose our friends. Unfortunately, in today's time, it's very arbitrary. Just a person was nice to me. They gave me a little snack. They did something for me. Now they become my close friend. And I'm completely unaware of their mindset. I'm completely unaware of their beliefs. I'm completely unaware of who they are, their character. How can I accept an individual as my friend? You're basically including your friend in your family. Are you prepared to include someone in your family who may cause harm? And they may cause harm to you. They may change your beliefs, your ideas. So we have to be very careful regarding this. In another hadith, Nabi Wasallam makes an example, very apt example of friendship. Positive influences and negative influences. Narrated by Imam Muslim, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, إِنَّمَا مَثَلُ الْجَلِيسِ الصَّالِحِ وَالْجَلِيسِ السُّوءِ كَحَامِلِ الْمِسْكِ وَنَافِخِ الْكِيرِ The example of a good friend and a bad friend. The example of positive influence and negative influence is like someone who sells fragrance and a blacksmith. A fragrance seller, he's always around fragrance. Either he's making the fragrance, he's preparing the fragrance, he's selling the fragrance. Without even intending, he's going to be fragrant. He's touching the fragrance. He can't get away from it. He's going to be very fragrant. His surroundings is going to be fragrant. He doesn't have to spray anything around. It's just as soon as you open the bottle, it's going to be very fragrant. He is fragrant. Those around him are fragrant. The area he's in is fragrant. If you come into his company, if you just stand with him for a few minutes and you don't touch anything, you talk to him, share a few words, and you leave. You're going to be fragrant. You're going to leave with something positive, something, benefit, something beneficial for you. You'll go back to other people and they'll smell it from you. They'll say, wow, you smell great. You'll be wondering, what did I do? I didn't touch anything. I didn't buy any fragrance. But just being in the company of someone who's around fragrance all day, you're going to get something from them. They have an aura about them. As for the nafiqul kir, the person who is... Always with the bellows, always, you know, formulating different things, a blacksmith making swords, making different things. They're always around coal, they're, they're around smelly things, they're, they're around fire. They're going to smell like smoke. Or they're going to smell like, you know, ash or tar, or, you know, these aspects. You may go and pay them a visit. And you'll leave without touching anything, without doing anything, you'll leave and you'll also smell like smoke. 
you'll also smell bad. People will hold their nose when you come near them. And you'll be wondering, what did I do? I didn't do absolutely, I did absolutely nothing. Now I smell horrible. It's because you were in that company. And this is the example Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gives. It's a very apt example. Because this is something that we can understand. Smell is something we can all perceive. But when it comes to character traits, when it comes to our beliefs, when it comes to how we are in terms of our relationships, we're unaware of this. We don't realize it's the same concept. A positive person who has goodness in their life has an aura about them. Even if we don't really take something mentally, we are going to benefit somehow. We're going to leave that gathering. We're going to go back home. People are going to notice, wow, you're, you're different. There's something about you that's different. It's very positive. I like it. And if we're around negative influences, <clears throat> people who have bad language, foul language, people whose mannerisms are not sophisticated, are not something according to deen, people who promote something that is haram, that is impermissible, that is negative for our health, for our, our mental health, our actions. We're going to go back home. People are going to notice. They're going to say, you never used to speak like this before. There's something about you. There's something negative. I can't put my finger on it. You came back from wherever you went from. And now there's something bad. The more we do this, the more it increases. The more we stay next to the, the perfume seller, the more fragrant we become. The more we stay with the blacksmith, the more dirty our clothes become. The more smoky we smell. And the more negative we become. To such a point where eventually we become the fragrance seller or we become the blacksmith themselves. Then when people hang around me, they will either be fragrant or they will either be smelling foul. We have to ask ourselves, what do I want to be? Do I want to be an individual that exudes positivity? A person that motivates other people to get better? Or do I want to be someone who downgrades people? When people stay with me, when they hang around me, when they stay in my company, they become worse. Such a negative influence that I cannot become positive anymore. Rather, I take positive people and I bring them down. Unfortunately, many of us have these attributes. We have these quality traits within ourselves that bring other people down. What is the solution for this? It's very simple. We need to spend our time with the salihin, with the pious with those who have good character traits. It's something that we can understand when it comes to mal and wealth. How often do you see a billionaire staying in the company of people who barely make any money? People who can't even pay their bills. Do you, do you see this often? A billionaire staying with people who, who do not have money. Rather, the opposite is true. The people who don't, want, don't have money, they want to stay in the company of the billionaires. They find it difficult though. As for the billionaires, they stay with billionaires. Why? Because they understand this influence that they have around them. It's going to motivate them. It's going to give them an air of competition. They're going to want to get better. They're not going to become complacent. They become greater and greater. So we can understand this when it comes to wealth. Why can't we understand this when it comes to our character, to our spirituality? We need to understand who is around us. As people have aptly put it, influence is always happening if you are not influencing, you will be influenced. And that's the situation. If we are not influencers, we will be influenced. Every time we watch something on the computer, on the internet, every time we talk to someone, we should understand that if I am not a source of influence, 
I am being influenced. The next thing we need to ask ourselves is, do I want this influence in my life? Do I want to be like this individual? We need to be cognizant. Every time we talk to a person that we do not want to be like, we have to have our guards up. Having our guards up is very important. And that is why, inshallah, I'll talk about this, that an intelligent enemy is better than a foolish friend. Why? A foolish friend, as soon as they're around you in your company, because they are your friend, you're going to lower your guard. You're going to open yourself up to them. They're your friend. But at the same time, they're foolish. What are they going to do? They're going to hear something about you. You're going to tell them about something that they should not be disclosing. You're going to tell them about a secret. They're going to go and they're going to think that they're doing some good for you. But because they're foolish, they're going to tell other people they cannot control themselves. They're going to do something that is going to harm you. And because they're your friends, you lowered your guard. As for the enemy who is intelligent, you have your guard up. You understand, this is my enemy. They're smart, but I have to be smarter. You're going to work against them. So they'll get very little out of you. So this is something that we have to be extremely cautious about. How do we choose someone to befriend who will be beneficial to us? This is the question we need to ask. We want to have friends that are beneficial because it's going to promote our own spiritual growth, mental growth, physical growth. But what qualities do they have to have? Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, a great scholar in the past, has mentioned five different character traits that we should seek in a friend. And he's talking about the spiritual angle. If we want to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we surround ourselves with people who have these five traits, inshallah, that will help us reach that goal. And we can turn this around as well. If we want to be a good friend to other people, we should also have these five qualities. We shouldn't be selfish. We shouldn't just say, I want to have a great friend and I can be as horrible as I want to. We need to be able to give back to them. And so we should also try to inculcate these qualities within our lives. Also seek these qualities in people. And if we find these qualities in people, we should try to befriend them. These five character traits are, number one, intellect. It should be intelligent. Number two, good character. I'll talk about each one of these. Number three, piety. Taqwa. Closeness to Allah. Number four, abstinence from dunya, which is called zuhud in Arabic. They're not engaged, they're not engrossed in dunya. You know, this is not the only thing that they're involved in. Yes, they may have a job, they may have good earnings. All of this is completely fine and encouraged in sharia. But a person who is obsessed with dunya, this is very dangerous to us. And number five, honesty. So again, intellect, character, piety, abstinence from dunya, and honesty. If these five character traits are found in an individual, they are a very priceless individual. We should aim to be around their company because we will definitely benefit. If these five character traits are found within us, inshallah, those around us will, become benef- will, will find benefit from us. We will become beneficial to them. So we should try to inculcate these within ourselves. We should also look for these traits in other people. The first one, intelligence. Like I mentioned before, an intelligent enemy is better than a foolish friend. We have friends, if they're foolish, they're going to harm us. We let our guard down before them, we get harmed. What is intelligence in friendship? When we're talking about friendship and we're looking for an intelligent friend, what does that mean? It means that this person, they can understand when we are in need. 
We can understand when our friends are in need. They don't have to spell it out for us. We talk to them. We understand them. We connect with them. We ask them, how are you? How is your family? They may say, I'm fine. Everything's good. We have to look deeper than that. We have to have some insight. We see this person is getting thin. They're losing a lot of weight. Something is happening. They're saying they're fine. They're looking different. We see a friend who used to have a beard before. Now his beard is completely shaven off. Let's ask him, is, is everything okay? What was the, the purpose behind that? If he says everything is okay, you're looking, inshallah. But we should be aware of our friend's situation. We should understand what's happening with their family. When we go over to visit them, we should use our clues that are around us. They may not say it, but maybe they need to be alone right now. Maybe we've overstayed our welcome. We need to be intelligent. Emotional intelligence, understanding what is happening around us. We don't need things to be spelled out like we're children. We should be able to observe our surroundings. Friends often tell us their secrets. This is part of friendship. Because when we bottle things up inside, it festers. It becomes pollution in ourselves. Of course, the true individual that is our true friend that we should reveal our bad secrets to is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't reveal our sin to anyone. This is a rule in Islam. We should not reveal our sins to anyone. We talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Ya'qub alayhi salam says, إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَثِّي وَحُزْنِي إِلَى اللَّهِ I complain about my grief and my weakness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My situation, Allah is the one that I complain to. So that is the importance of dua and that is another subject inshallah we'll talk about. But if we do disclose something to our friend or they disclose something to us, we should understand. They don't have to say, this is a secret, keep it... Keep it quiet. We used to do that when we were kids. We don't have to say this all the time. We should use our intelligence and say, this is something private. I'm going to keep this safe, inshallah. This is intelligence. It's also part of intelligence when we know when to compliment our friends or when we advise our friends. A good friend does both. When do you compliment your friend? They did something good. Compliment them. They need to hear that. They're wearing some nice clothing. Compliment them. They're looking good today on Yom Al-Jumu'ah. Compliment them. And when they're doing something haram, something impermissible, we need to advise. And that is also a really great part of intelligence, how to advise. Inshallah, in the future, if Allah gives us tawfiq, we'll discuss this aspect. Something really that, that annoys people. Unsolicited advice. This is also a part of intelligence. You go to your friend's house and the only thing you start saying, you should do this, you should do that. Did they ask for your advice? Is, did they do something haram for you to advise them about this? Have you invested in Bitcoin? Have you invested here or there? You should do this with your money. How come I see you spending here and there? You should be like that. That's not a good friend. Unsolicited advice is actually annoying. And this is something that we all have within ourselves. And what's even worse is sometimes we do something positive, only then we want to advise. As if this is a way to call attention to our own action. I wasn't praying tahajjud for a whole year. You never hear me advising about tahajjud. The day I start praying tahajjud, we should all pray tahajjud. It's a very great thing. What am I really doing here? Am I advising or am I trying to tell people that I pray tahajjud? We need to inspect ourselves. This is all part of intelligence. There's much more to say about this. Inshallah, if Allah gives tawfiq, we will talk. I want to finish the other points. The second one is character. We should have good character. Our friends should have good character. 
Good character is infectious. Any kind of character. You're around negativity, that's going to come into your life. You're around positivity, that's going to come into your life. What entails character? Good speech. You're around someone who's always saying, Inshallah, MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah, Tabarakallah, it's going to come into you. You're not used to saying those phrases. It's going to come into you. And, and every time we say, Alhamdulillah, this is a dhikr. You get reward for it. Every salam you make, this is 10 rewards. When you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, 20. When you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh, 30 rewards. Automatically, when you see someone, you say the whole phrase. How many of us say the whole phrase? We find it difficult. It's very long. I'm not going to say the whole thing. Just salam, salam. Maybe we get five. We don't even want to say assalamu alaikum, salam, peace. We turn into English. Let us use the correct phrase. Similar, if we're around negativity, they're going to use foul language, bad language. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns this in the Quran. After having iman, it's so horrible that you say something negative, that you say something impermissible, that you speak profanity. Where does profanity come from? We find it in children. When they're around sources of profanity, they're watching things they shouldn't be watching, or the friends that they're around heard it from their parents. They learn that. They start using it. They understand this is mamnu'ah. This is something that you do not do, and then it encourages them to do it more. So this is how it comes into us. We learn profanity from our surroundings. We have to ask ourselves, what type of language do I want? Do I, want to, do I want to be more like Rasulullah sallallahu You will not find profanity in the language of Nabi sallallahu Rather you find the most beautiful kalam The most beautiful speech in Rasulullah sallallahu As for the mushrikeen, the kuffar They were very common, they commonly used profanity And this is also another plague in our communities We find common use of profanity This is not the way of a believer Sometimes you want to add emphasis to your words You want to use this word, that word this is not the case. We should not do so. Rather, there are different ways to speak. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not happy with that. Other aspects of character. Generosity. We need to be more generous. We need to seek friends that are generous. Of course, you know, there's a caveat here. You don't seek out a friend because they have wealth and they're going to spend it on you. That's a little bit greedy. Rather, we should think that I want to spend on my friends. Spending for other people. This is something that we need to inculcate within ourselves as well. Also, a friend's sincerity towards us. Do they really want the best for us? Or is there some kind of hidden animosity? These are things you can pick up on. If you're around certain individuals, you can pick up that they're, they're jealous. Just look at their face. You tell them, Alhamdulillah, this happened. Alhamdulillah, I got a promotion. There will be one second or so in their face, maybe that, that smile will be delayed. The delay, the delay of that smile is, is a sign. There may be something there. And if that's all, then inshallah, that's forgivable. But if there's actual practical implications, you notice they are jealous, then beware. They may try to harm you later on. And we also need to look at ourselves. Am I jealous of my friends? Am I really happy for them? They're doing better than me. They got a higher promotion. They got more than I do. They have a very beautiful family. They have a lot of wealth. They're doing great. Am I happy for them or, or is it deep inside burning me up that why are they getting better and I can't? So a true friend is one who does not harbor jealousy. The next attribute, piety. This is extremely important. Why do we need to seek friends who have piety? 
like we mentioned over and over, you are who your friend circle is. The harm of being around people who lack piety, who do not have taqwa, who do not care about sinning. What does it mean that a person doesn't have taqwa? They don't fear Allah, so they'll do whatever they want. Their God is their desires. As for Allah, He created the universe, but I do what I want. Taking Allah as our Lord means that we take His ahkam as well, we take His commandments. So when our friends sin openly, they are no longer shamed about their sin. And they do it often, frequently. And we're around them. Maybe we have a dislike to that. But eventually, by staying with them for a very long period of time, what happens is, I become numb. It becomes very common, something not so bad. And eventually, if it's not so bad in my heart, that may seem enticing to me. I may want to do it. Our friend talks about the benefits of this. And eventually this leads to one day myself doing it. And then I find myself doing the same thing. It's extremely harmful. An example of this. Drugs. Drugs are a huge example. We stay around people. They're involved in drug abuse. Whatever it may be. Alcohol. Different forms of uh, you know, drugs. Psychedelics in today's time. People are involved in that. They're going to talk about the, the beauty of it. Wow, when I take this drug, I get transported to another dimension. I'm talking to different beings. You're around them for so long. At first, you're astaghfirullah. How could you do such a thing? One, two years pass. Wow, it sounds really interesting. It shows you different videos of what happens to people. Another two years pass. Let me try it. And after that, you're hooked. This is what happens when we're around such company. When people do not have taqwa. And a more practical example. Most people, many of us, we're around people who do ghiba. Ghiba, speaking negatively about people behind their back. We hear this all around us. It becomes so common, we find it in almost all of us. We're doing some form of ghiba. You smile in front of a person, as soon as they turn their back, they leave, we start speaking. Oh, did you see what they were wearing? Did you see how they behaved? Did you see how they said that? Oh, this person's involved in that. But we're too afraid to say this in front of them. Rasulullah says, Al-ghiba tu ashaddu min zina Ghiba is worse than fornication. Could you imagine? We're doing this left and right. It's worse than fornication. <coughs> but when it comes to eating pork, for example, all of us, Astaghfirullah, how can I eat pork? This is kufr. This is not Islam. You don't find that same phrase that eating pork is worse than zina. You find it for ghiba. How can we find it so easy to do ghiba? Because we're around people who do ghiba. So it's extremely important that we surround ourselves with friends, positivity. And the, the last two, I'll just quickly mention. Number, the last one is, or the second to last, is abstinence from dunya. We want to surround ourselves with people who are, care about the akhirah, who are not engrossed in dunya. Because if we get engrossed in dunya, we're going to forget about the hereafter. And this is our true goal. And honesty. If our friends are dishonest, that is going to creep into us. They're not going to be reliable. Someone who's dishonest, they will be there for you when everything is easy, when they can benefit, when it's time for you to benefit from them, they're gone. And so this is a summary of the different traits that Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah mentions in order for us to be good friends to our friends and in order for us to find good friends and surround ourselves with them. There's much more that I wanted to say about this. I had a, different, I had a quote from Imam al-Ghazali as well. But inshallah, maybe another day. Again, the five qualities that we need to look for in friends and that we need to have in ourselves to be good friends. Intellect, 
character, piety, abstinence from dunya, and honesty. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of these traits. These are the traits of Anbiya alayhimu salatu wasalam. We ask for these beautiful traits. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove from us the opposites of these traits and give us tawfiq to be good friends and surround ourselves with good friends. Wa sallallahu tabaraka wa ta'ala ala khayri khalqihi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Bi rahmatika ya arhamu rahmeen.